0: Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Joseph is the favored son. He's favored by his father, Jacob Israel. He's favored by the father God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph is the son of Jacob's first love, Rachel born by the power of God from the barren womb. He is the faithful shepherd over his father's household. Joseph is literally invested with authority. Jacob gives him a glorious robe of of royalty and priestly service. And Joseph is to be the heir of the covenant promises, the head of the people of Israel. Now, just as he did with Jacob, God confirms these things in a double witness of dreams given to Joseph. Eleven sheaves, eleven stars. The older shall serve the younger. Joseph's brothers will eventually bow before him. These dreams do not spring up out of arrogance or pride on Joseph's part. They are revelations from God. God has revealed to Joseph what he is about to do. But Joseph's brothers have become little Esau's. They resent God's choosing of their younger brother. They allow murderous thoughts to fester in their hearts. They rip Joseph's robe of authority from him. They cast Joseph into a pit. They soak Joseph's robe in goat's blood and display it before the face of Jacob, a lie to cover their wickedness they sell their brother into the hands of traders for 20 shekels of silver and he is taken down to egypt where he is sold into slavery and so god's son finds himself in egypt finds himself enslaved by egyptians what will he do there he will be faithful and fruitful where god has planted him for the favored son of god Descent leads to ascension humiliation leads to exaltation death leads to resurrection life genesis 39 tells us joseph was bought by an officer of pharaoh the king of egypt he was bought by a captain of the guard named potiphar to be a household servant in potiphar's house the text tells us the lord was with joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. You see, Joseph already knew how to manage a great household. That's what he'd been doing all along in Jacob's house. He was given his glorious robe as a sign that he was being prepared to rule over not only his brothers, but but over the whole sheikdom of family members and servants and shepherds and flocks and cattle. Joseph has been called to be a faithful servant in his father's house. And so Joseph now finds himself in a vastly different setting, serving an Egyptian master instead of his father. And yet Joseph puts the same wisdom and skill into practice in Potiphar's house. And the Lord blesses his labor. The results are that Joseph is exalted once again. He's invested once again with authority, the authority of one who rules over a great house. But now it is the the Gentiles who benefit from this, isn't it? It's the Egyptians, Potiphar and his household. They reap the rewards of God's favor on Joseph. Joseph's own brothers rejected his rule, and we're going to see that they will pay the consequences for rejecting God's favored son. They reap curses instead of blessing, famine instead of feasting. Instead, God goes to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles fall under God's generous favor because God's favored son is in their midst. And so we see in this the promises to Abraham are coming true, aren't they? God told him, in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But not everyone in Potiphar's house is satisfied with the blessings that God has given them. Genesis 39, 6 tells us, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her. Like the serpent in the garden, Potiphar's wife calls Joseph to grasp after forbidden fruit. But this better Adam remains faithful to the command of his master. He stands strong against temptation. 39.11 But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, Potiphar has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story. We've seen this before, haven't we? Once again, Joseph's garment of glory and authority is ripped from him by one with wicked intent. Once again, his garment is used as as a part of a lie to cover the attacker's sin. And once again, Joseph will be cast into the pit for a crime he did not commit. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now this prison is actually a house, it's, uh, but symbolically it's another pit. The text calls this place the pit in 4015 and 4114. So the author wants us to connect this prison to the pit into which Joseph's brothers threw him. So once again the innocent son finds himself cast out of house and home rejected and reviled by those he came to bless what will he do there he will be faithful and fruitful where god has planted him for the favored son of god descent leads to ascension humiliation leads to exaltation death leads to resurrection life and so we see that in language that almost echoes word for word how it was in potiphar's house we read verse 21 So now we're given a double witness to the way the Lord chooses to work through his favored son. Despite rejection, despite suffering, despite opposition, God is still at work in Joseph. He's raising him to a position of rule and authority. He's blessing the Gentiles once again through his favored son. And that brings us to chapter 40 where we learn... Sometime after this, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker of Pharaoh committed some offense against their lord, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers. And so they wind up in, in the prison house where Joseph is, and as Joseph has been put in charge of this house, he attends to these men and cares for them. Apparently, Joseph's dreaming ways are, are contagious because the cupbearer and the baker each have a dream on the same night, and Joseph, we see here, shows himself to be an attentive and a considerate ruler. He, he sees that these men are troubled, and he asks them about it. Why are your faces downcast today? They explain to him, it, it's the dreams they had the night before, and, and Joseph says, you know, I have some experience with dreams myself. And I know the true God who gives dreams and their interpretation. So why don't you tell me your dreams and we'll see what we can do? The chief cupbearer, he goes first. And Genesis 40, verse 9, uh, recounts his dream. He says In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. see, Joseph bears a good news gospel message for the cupbearer. He's going to be vindicated. He's going to be restored to his former position. And so the cupbearer breathes easily for the first time in weeks. And then Joseph adds a request. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and, and so to get me out of this house For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Now the baker's sitting there, and he overhears this whole thing, and he thinks, well, maybe I'll get good news as well. And so he says to Joseph, do me next. I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph similarly answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Now that really took a turn, right? a similar dream but with very different results we're not told how the baker reacted to the news i'm guessing joseph's little play on words was not well received i'll bet the baker wanted to tear joseph's robe and throw him in a pit but of course joseph is already in the pit but remember this wasn't joseph's interpretation of the dreams it was god revealing to joseph and to these men what he was about to do. Indeed, we learn that all comes to pass, just as Joseph had said on the third day, Pharaoh comes to deal with the men, and the baker is hanged, and the cupbearer is restored, and the cupbearer, probably very relieved to have his head still intact. He's not thinking about Joseph at all, and so he forgets Joseph. He fails to tell Pharaoh About the master of dreams. And so the favored son is abandoned by those to whom he preached good news, and he must continue his lonely sojourn in the pit for two more years. But in the third year, Pharaoh has a dream of his own, and this brings us to chapter 41. And there we are told Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile River. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So once again, we have two dreams, a double witness of dreams. Remember, Joseph had two dreams as well his brother's sheaves of grain bowing before him, and then the sun, moon, and eleven stars bowing down to him. We also had the two dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. So all these dreams are coming in sets of two. And that's because in Scripture, the truth of a matter can only be established by the evidence of two witnesses. And and Pharaoh knows this principle, this double witness of dreams uh, must be significant. And so in the morning, he wakes up, and his spirit is very troubled by these dreams. And so he sends for the counselors, for the magicians, the magi, and the wise men of Egypt. But upon hearing his dreams, none of them could interpret to Pharaoh what they mean. And the chief cupbearer is standing there in Pharaoh's throne room, Probably offering Pharaoh wine to calm his troubled spirit and, he, and he's watching this all unfold and he can't shake this feeling of deja vu that he has. And finally, the light bulb pops on and he remembers Joseph, the master of dreams. So the cupbearer bears witness to the wisdom of the favored son and And Pharaoh hears about Joseph, and he says, go drag this guy out of the pit and give him a fresh shave and a change of clothes and bring him to me. And Joseph comes, and Pharaoh recounts his dreams, his visions, dreamer to dreamer. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows and the seven good ears, those represent, we learn, seven years, years of fruitfulness and a bountiful harvest. But those seven lean cows and the seven withered ears represent seven years of famine to follow. And verse 28, Joseph says, it is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, And God will shortly bring it about. So Joseph delivers the divine interpretation of the dreams and then he does what he has always done. He applies the wisdom and insight God has given him to steward the house well, to protect and provide for the people in his care, and so he forms a wise plan of response to the word of the Lord. Joseph counsels, verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man and set him over the the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and, and let them keep it that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Well, that sounds like a good plan, right? Store up the grain and protect it so we have it when the famine comes. It's a wise plan. It's something right out of Proverbs. And verse 37 tells us, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this In whom is the Spirit of God? Verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You see, even Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, recognizes the divine influence on Joseph. The prophet of the Hebrews was able to triumph where all the wise men and magicians of Egypt could not. A little foreshadowing of the Exodus there. Joseph is bearing witness to the true God by faithfully proclaiming his word to the rulers of empire. Pharaoh continues, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So once again, God causes Joseph to succeed and to be given favor and authority in the household where he has planted him. But now that household is a great kingdom, the greatest in the region at that time. Now Joseph has been set over all the land of Egypt. And just as his father, Jacob, had invested Joseph with authority and rule by giving him the glorious robe, so now Pharaoh invests Joseph with garments and jewelry that signify his new authority. Verse 42, Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Notice this, this ring is Pharaoh's ring from his own hand and the hand is the symbol of power and military might. So Pharaoh is identifying Joseph with him in power. Pharaoh clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. This is a garment signifying Joseph's status here in the kingdom. And and the garment is said to be made of fine linen, the chain of gold. Linen garments and gold jewelry will later be seen specifically on the priests of Israel. And so I think these things are indicating that Joseph was seen as, as a priestly figure by the Egyptians. I mean, Pharaoh already said Joseph had the spirit of God in him. We learn in verse 45 that Pharaoh gives Joseph in marriage to the daughter of an Egyptian priest, and so identifying him with an Egyptian priestly family. And We're also told in verse 46 that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh. And 30 years is the age at which Israelite priests were ordained. And the word translated service there is elsewhere used to describe the priest's approach to to God. So we're seeing Joseph, he's being invested with the symbols of kingly rule and military might, the symbols of priestly service. And we know he sees vision. He reveals what God is going to do. So I think it's pretty safe to say Joseph is being portrayed for us as a priest, a king, and a prophet. He foreshadows the greater priest, king, and prophet to come. Verse 43, and Pharaoh made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Again, this is the largest kingdom in the region at this time, and now this son of Jacob has been raised up from the pit to rule over this great kingdom, co-equal with Pharaoh himself. And Joseph does there what he has always done, He obeys the word of the Lord, and he labors to protect and provide for the house in which God has placed him. Verse 47, during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Well, it's a good thing there's grain like the sand in the sea because God promised Abraham he would multiply his offspring as the sand that is on the seashore. And the sons of Jacob are going to need the grain of Egypt very soon. Verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Now we said earlier that God had promised Abraham, clear back in chapter 12 of this book, that in Abraham's offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And as we get closer to the end of Genesis, we are seeing this promise come to fulfillment. An offspring of Abraham has been given authority over the greatest Gentile kingdom. And now all the earth is streaming to Joseph looking for bread coming to the promised son, the seed of the woman, for life. God brought his son through suffering, through the pit, to bring him to this place of authority and power, and through him to bring life to the world. Now you can already see the story of Genesis 39 through 41 it's really just the same story told three times over a triple witness to god's wrestling with joseph the son of israel it's a triple witness to god's process of maturing and glorifying joseph right joseph is cast into the pit by his brothers but god raises him up to rule in the egyptian's house joseph is cast into the pit because of potiphar's wife but god raises him up to rule over the house of the guard and Joseph is cast back into the pit as the cupbearer forgets about him. But God raises him up to rule over the house of Egypt. It's the same story, but moving toward greater and greater glory with each iteration. Now, I've said it before, but of course, it bears repeating. The Bible is the most gloriously repetitive book in the world. The story of Joseph is the same story that is repeated over and over again throughout this book. God's favored son, rejected by men, matured through suffering, raised by the Father, and exalted to rule over a new and more glorious creation. That's the story. It's the story of Noah and of Abraham. It's the story of Joseph's father, Jacob. It's the story of Job and of Moses, and of the Exodus generation. It's the story of Samson. It's the story of David, and of Daniel, and Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. And all of these gloriously repetitive stories are preparing us for a greater glory to come. For the new and better Joseph, for Jesus Christ, the favored son of God, was rejected by his own generation. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, His disciples had received good news from him, news beyond their wildest dreams. And still they forgot him and abandoned him when it was their own necks at stake. Jesus was falsely accused. His garment was stripped from him. He was nailed to the cross to suffer and die. And he was cast into the pit and prison of the grave, buried in the heart of the earth and left there to rot but God did not abandon him the Lord inclined to him and heard his cry the father drew his favored son up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set his feet upon a rock making his steps secure that many might see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And having raised his son out of the pit, God clothed his beloved son in the most glorious robe of all. His very flesh restored and transformed, his body radiant with light, his flesh freed from the shackles of death and eternally empowered by the Spirit of God. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And so the Father raised his Son up to heaven and sat him down at his own right hand. He invested his Son with all authority and power and set him over all his kingdom, over all the earth. And through his gospel, God proclaims to all the world, bow the knee. Just as Pharaoh gave Joseph a priestly bride at his ascension, so the Father has given Jesus his church the bride for which he came. And like Joseph, Jesus has succeeded where all other wise men and magicians, all priests, kings, and prophets have failed. Because Jesus faithfully heard and obeyed the prophetic dream despite the suffering he faced. And by his faithfulness, he has stored up in himself an abundance of life safe and secure against the famine of this fallen world. And so all the earth comes to Jesus, seeking the bread of life. In Jesus, truly, all the families of the earth will be blessed, for he alone is the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And we are called to place our trust in Jesus along with them, We are called to look to Jesus to find feast in the midst of famine. We are to trust that in Jesus the story of Joseph and of the greater Joseph has become our story too. In this life, we will face rejection. We will be falsely accused. We will wrestle with God and with men. And God will plant us in places that we would not have chosen He will ask us to be faithful in trying circumstances, as Joseph was. But God promises our exile will end with restoration. Accusation will give way to vindication. Suffering will bring maturity. Humiliation will lead to exaltation. Famine will turn to feasting. And finally, even death itself will give way to resurrection life. And we will enter into the joy of our master, a new creation beyond our wildest dreams. Let us pray. God of Joseph, you bring your servants through suffering in order to mature them and grow them into a source of life for the world. Grant us faith to labor diligently in our households, in our schools, our jobs, our communities, our world even when you put us in hard places and and circumstances that try our spirits. Above all, teach us to trust that you are a God who saves his children out of the pit, even out of the grave. Help us to trust that Christ has gone through it before us and for us to redeem us. And on the last day, we will be resurrected and exalted, even as he is now, as he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.